what would it have been like to walk with Jesus, right? You know, I, what would it have been like to, um, you know, to, to be with him every single day and to, you know, to have that relationship that the disciples had? You know, I, I wonder that a lot, especially every time I read uh, in the New Testament and, and, you know, you read those stories and, you know, of course, Peter, who was just this knucklehead who, who thought he was going to be like, you know, Jesus' best and brightest and stuff like that, but he always seemed to just be saying the wrong things and Jesus was always lovingly rebuking him. I'm pretty sure that would have been me, by the way. I would have been the one, oh, let's do this, woo! And Jesus would be like, Matthew, no, that's not, we're not going to go do that. You know, we're going to go do this, you know, which is basically my life anyways. But I thought, what would it be like to walk, you know, with Jesus? And I just, I think it's important because I really believe that this is the kind of relationship Jesus wants with you. You know, when I was young and I had this idea of, of religion or this idea of being a Christian, you know, God felt very distant, right? God felt like this thing that was, I believed in him. I believed that there was this big, you know, omniscient, omnipresent being that was up there somewhere, though, that he was really concerned about bigger things than me, right? And did he even care about what I was going through or, or anything like that? And as I've gotten older and as I've matured in the Lord, I've realized that, you know what, that is exactly why Jesus came down to this earth, because God was trying to prove to us, I am not that God that is off somewhere else, that is up in the clouds, that doesn't care about you or what you're going through personally, and that is why Jesus came to this earth. And that's the kind of relationship that God wants with you. He wants this, this, this close relationship that Jesus showed with his disciples, right? They ate together, right? They traveled together. They, 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 you know, they bunked together, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? It was very intimate. And that's the kind of relationship that Jesus wants with you. He doesn't want it to be, oh, it's Sunday, you know, I better go, you know, to church and, and get some Jesus. You know what I mean? He wants, the minute you wake up in the morning, he wants your thoughts to go to him uh, because his thoughts are already towards you. And, and when you lie your head, uh, you know, in bed at that night, that your thoughts, you know, would also conclude, you know, thinking about him. And, and again, his thoughts are, are already, you know, thinking of you. You, know, you hear that? Oh, that, that's, I know what that is. You're okay. Okay. I think it's Marcos. I think the beeping's fine. Maybe Jacob could poke his head out there, but I think it's just a, oh, 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 it's a closet. Never mind. It's a closet. Anyways, everything is okay. We're just trying to keep you awake. So throughout the service, there's going to be little things that are going to pop up and, and we're going to throw out you. You know, it's going to be a very immersive experience this morning. I'm just kidding. But I, I really wanted to talk about walking with Jesus because I really believe that this is the kind of lifestyle we need to have. This is how we need to be constantly thinking, you know. And, and, and you know, when I was younger, again, going back to kind of that, that a little bit immaturity in my, in my, you know, I only called out to Jesus when I was in desperate need, right? Right? It was only like when life was good, then I really, you know, didn't focus on God or didn't focus on Jesus or anything like that. But when things were going bad... Guess who I was crying out to? Guess who all of a sudden got my, you know, my attention? And by the way, if you think about that relationally, you know, if my children only ever called out to me when they were in desperate need, you know, I, that would be, 
That would be hard. I, I would, I, you know, I, I want to enjoy life with them. I, I want to, you know, be there when they're happy, not just, you know, when they're sad. And so this idea of walking with Jesus. And, and last week I, I started with the baptism of Jesus because that was kind of the, the beginning of his ministry. And that was kind of the announcement to the world that, you know, that God was here, that God in, in fleshly form was here. And, and so he, he was baptized, and it was kind of also a symbol, this symbolic of really even the reason why he came, you know, to this earth was that he was going to lay down his life. And this, 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 he was showing it through, you know, baptism and, 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 and this kind of, you know, what he asks us to do. He asks us to continue that on in remembrance that, that you know, we are, we are dying with him. That the old man dies, you know, uh, and that there's a new, we become a new creation. And John says these words. John says, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn from your sinful ways. That was really John's message. That was really it. That was the core. That was really all he was preaching. And many, many would come and get baptized. Even before Jesus came on the scene. Many would come get baptized because they realized. And that is really the essence of, uh, you know, of our walk with God. It's, it's a starting point. It's understanding that we are sinners and we need a savior. It's understanding that, that you know, that there's this conflict that, that, you know, that there's a choice that we make. And this is going to even lead into my, my sermon today. After Jesus is baptized and, and after he comes out of the water, you know, I also said it was, it was the very first, well, I shouldn't say that, it wasn't the first time. But in the New Testament, it's the first time that we see the Trinity together, right? Jesus Right in, 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 the, in fleshly form, the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove, and Father God's voice saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That here he is, here is God, here is the fullness of God come down to this earth. He's not a distant God. He's a God who cares. He's a God who wants to be among you. He's a God who wants to experience all the things that you're experiencing. So after this moment, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, and he fasts for 40 days. And this is where we are going to uh, pick up the story. I'm going to read it to you. I don't have uh, it on the screen, uh, but we are going to look at kind of almost a verse by verse today. But I'm just going to read it to you. I just want you just to listen. Okay, just listen to the story. Uh, it's Luke, I'm going to read it out of Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1. If you do have your, your Bibles with you, though, you can follow along or your Bible apps or whatnot. And I am reading out of the New Living uh, Translation, if you're wondering. It's a very short story. So just listen to this. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, here we go, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up, revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. 
He said, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and the authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. And Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, then jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Temptation, right? Temptation. It's a, it sounds like a bad word, right? It's that one word, you know, it's a bad word. And, and yet Jesus is, is tempted. And, and it's a very interesting story, but it's, uh, again, just like the baptism, it's a very pivotal moment. It's a very important moment that we need to take notice of. Jesus came. Remember I said this is a God who doesn't want to be a distant God. Not only does he care about you, he he wants to come and dwell with you, but Jesus also wants to experience everything that mankind is experiencing. So he literally goes out and is led by the Holy Spirit, and he is placed in this intense situation, right? 40 days he doesn't eat. 40 days he goes without food. Right? And it, it's, it's one of those things that I do not recommend doing unless you too are led by the Holy Spirit to go do this. You will never ever hear me tell you to go do a 40 day food fast, right? Because you will literally take your body to the ultimate breaking point, and that's where Jesus was. Jesus literally took his body. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, how long can you go? without eating, right? How long can you go until your body completely shuts down and that's it? Jesus was at that point. He was at the most vulnerable place and he did it on purpose because he wanted to experience everything that we experience. He wanted to put himself in the most vulnerable situation. And of course, who's right there to test him? But Satan himself. But first I want to talk about temptation. Okay, temptation. Temptation is not sin, okay? Temptation is not sin. Temptation is the enticement to sin, right? Temptation is the crossroads of serving God or serving yourself, all right? So when you are being tempted, you know, sometimes we think that that sin starts with the temptation or sin starts with that thought in my head of, of, you know, being tempted. It's the enticement to sin. That's what temptation is. Temptation says, come, come this way, right? And where did we first see this? We saw this in the garden. Satan, again, right, is tempting man, mankind, tempting Adam and Eve to sin, you know, trying to twist God's word, trying to, trying to get mankind, you know, to, uh, uh, to fall because, you know, he, Satan hates you. He hates us. Tempt, temptation, though, is not a sin. It, we need to understand that because a lot of people, the moment they're tep- tempted, give in to sin because they think, they've, well, I'm already here. I'm already having these thoughts or I'm already, you know, this close. I might as well just go all the way. 
But temptation, even Jesus was tempted. Temptation is not the sin itself. It is the enticement. It is the, you know, it is kind of the welcome mat that leads to sin. It's still that one place that you can still say no, right? That one place that you can still turn and say, I am not going to give in to fleshly desires. I am going to be obedient to the word of God. So I want to look at the scripture now, starting in verse 1. And we're just going to kind of take it piece by piece. And I kind of want to pick it apart, and I want to, I want to talk about that. So, so in verse 1, Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing at that time and became very angry. It's interesting Jesus was led, what, did I say something wrong? Angry, hangry. He was hangry. That's what I meant to say. He was hungry. <laughs> I'm probably hangry right now. He was hungry. He wasn't angry. Maybe he was a little angry. But Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit to be tempted. Sometimes, you guys, Sometimes in our life, God tests us. There is times in our life that we are led in a place in our life where we are being tested, where God wants to see, I want to see what is really inside of you. I want to see what you are really made of, because I'll tell you something, especially as Christians, we're really good at putting on a facade We're really good about putting on a face. We're really good at coming in on Sundays and saying everything's fine and dandy. When really, you know, you pull back the curtain and we're a mess, right? And I'm not talking about us just being real. That's not where I'm going with this. I'm talking about hiding. I'm talking about not being honest with ourselves. I'm talking about, you know, sometimes God wants to see, he wants to pull back the curtain and he wants to see what we're truly made of. And so sometimes we will be led by the Holy Spirit in times of testing. So three, three truths about testing. Here are three truths about testing, okay? So that you know, am I in a time, am I in a season of being tested? Well, if I am, then, then these are the three truths about it, and this is what I will need to know. The first one, there is a reason for the testing. There is a reason for the testing. God's not just testing you right to to have fun right like you're like you know you're some toy to be played with that's you know god's not just testing you there is a reason for it deuteronomy 8:2 remember how the lord your god led you through the wilderness for these 40 years humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands we all remember the story we all remember the, the Israelites being freed from Egypt and, and they go out there and, and immediately God says, hey, there's the promised land and they, they send the 12 out and only two come back saying, yeah, I think we can conquer the, the big giants in the land. The other 10 are freaked out and say, no, we can't do it. God brought us out here to die. God punishes them. He tests them for 40 years. I don't want to do that, right? I don't want to wander for 40 years. I want to get it right. I want to get it right. I want to be the Joshua and the Caleb that, you know, when we see the promised land, we say, yep, if God said that's ours, then it's ours. 
There is a reason for the testing. If you are going through trials right now, and it's definitely nothing that you brought upon yourself. Okay, so let's talk about that for just a quick moment. There are definitely trials that we can bring upon ourselves, right? When we sin, there's consequence to our sin. When we make poor choices, there's consequence to our poor choices. That's not what we're talking about right here. We're talking, not talking about the consequence of poor, poor life choices. We're talking about, you know, when you are serving the Lord and when you are following him and then all of a sudden, wait a second, why is my life getting hard? Why is this so difficult? Well, maybe God is bringing you into a time of testing because he wants to see what is on the inside. He wants to see your character. He wants to see ultimately if you will obey him. If you will, like Rod said this morning, trust him. Amen. Number two, God will help you through the testing. God will help you through the testing. Hebrews 2.18, since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. You see, this is another reason why Jesus was tested, why he went through this trial of being tempted by Satan, because then that way he himself can say, I have been there son or daughter, I know exactly what you're going through and I'm gonna tell you exactly how to get through it. Are you reaching out to Jesus who has been there, who's the one not only can comfort you, but who can give you the wisdom on how to navigate through this time of testing? God is with you. And third, God will reward you for enduring the testing. God will reward you. Again, there is a reason for the testing. He will be with you through the testing, and there is a reward for you when you come through the testing. James 1, 12 says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love them, who love him. You see, you guys, this is what the relationship with God is all about. And, and this is how we find out who's giving lip service and who truly loves the Lord. Just like the word of God says, you will know them by their fruits, right? You will really know someone. Don't, don't just listen to somebody and what they say. You will really know them by the fruit of their life, by, 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 you know, by their character, by, the, by you know, how they act and things like that. And God does the same thing with us. Don't think that you can manipulate God or don't think that you can put on a facade for God and put on the right clothes and talk the right talk and go to the right church and he's gonna think, oh, there's, there's one of my people. He knows because he sees in our hearts. And this was the reason. This is a reason sometimes you're going through these trials and temptations. So let's, let's go move on to verse three. Satan says, if you are the son of God, verse three, if you are the son of God, Satan is casting doubt on Christ's identity. He immediately starts there, right? Boy, what a, yeah, man, there's so many words. Satan will always want you to doubt who you are and who God is. He will always want to get in your head. He will always want to get you to doubt who you are and who God has created you to be and the giftings and talents that you have and the capability that you have. He will want to get in your head. He will want to mess with you and he'll want to get you to doubt God as well. Be where, be you know, weary of that, be, be alert to that, you know, be wise to that. 
That if you start hearing that voice in your head that's just trying to tear you apart and tear you down and tell you that you're someone else or that you're any less than who God created you to be, then you know right now that Satan's in your head. He also says in verse 3, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. Now, by the way, I could not find one of the Ten Commandments that says, thou shalt not turn stones into bread, right? Thou shalt not feed thyself, right? Thou, I couldn't find any. So, so why, is, why is this a sin, right? Why is he being, being tempted with this, you know, I dare you, Jesus. I dare you to turn that stone to bread. It had nothing to do with the act, correct? Sometimes we face this in life. Sometimes it's not about the, the act. The act in itself isn't sin, It's our heart. It's why we want that thing, right? Wanting a a Lamborghini is not a sin, right? Wanting a Lamborghini, Gary, is not a sin. Wanting a Ferrari, wanting a Porsche, wanting a, you know, a high-end car in and of itself is not a sin. But the motivation for wanting that thing can be a sin, right? Maybe it's because I want you to think Savoy of me. Right? Maybe, I, maybe how, I, how I got it, you know, I, I did all of these corrupt things to, you know what I mean? You see what I'm saying? Sometimes there could be sin in our hearts of why we want that thing, not that the thing itself is sin. And that's where Jesus is being tempted. He's, he's not being tempted on eating bread, but, but Jesus was out in the wilderness specifically to fast. He was being obedient to God. God had told him that you are going to fast. And until I tell you that you are going to trust in me. And so, so what Satan is trying to get him to do is take a shortcut. Why don't you just feed yourself? Right? Nobody will know. But if Jesus did that, then he would be disobeying God's command. And therefore, he would have sinned. But he didn't. Right? He did not. The reason, yeah, there's, there's no cutting corners. There's no cutting corners when it comes to serving God. When, when God says to do something, when there is a command of God, we need to uphold it. And can I tell you, this is a problem in our church that we have a lot of gray, all of a sudden there's a lot of gray area. And the, trust me, there's a lot, God has a lot of mercy. He does have a lot of grace. But when you know, when you know what God is asking, we need to be obedient to that, right? When you don't know, then you don't know. But when you come to the realization of something and you realize that the Holy Spirit is, is enlightening something in you and you see God's truth, whether it's in writing or, or, or whether you hear it spoken or something like that, and that revelation comes and you now know, you are now held accountable to that, whether you are following God and there's no cutting corners and there's no, well, you know, for us and as long as we, you know, do it, you know, no, no. It's interesting that in all three attempts, Jesus battles Satan with the word of God. In all three attempts, Jesus battles Satan with the word of God. And in Hebrews 4.12, it says this, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, 
cutting between soul and spirit, uh, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. You guys, this is why we need to be reading God's word every single day, because it is a weapon. Do you understand? It is a weapon. You see, Satan is not sleeping on the job. Satan does not take vacations. Satan does not take days off. He is coming at you with everything he's got 24-7. We seem to take vacations, right? I mean, spiritually. We seem to take days off, right? Ah, you know what? I really just need to not be in God's word today. I'm exhausted. Well, of course you are, right? Satan's trying to make you exhausted. That's part of his plan, right? We need to see past all those things. But where did I put it? Here it is. But God has given you a weapon against him. In fact, it is the only weapon that can defeat him when he is attacking you, when he is in your head, when he is pestering you, right? When he is pushing you around, when he is trying to get you locked up, when he is trying to get you to sin, you do have a weapon against him, and that weapon is the word of God. And you need to throw it back in his face, and you need to know it, and you need to be in it. Because here's the thing, Satan knows, Satan knows what the word of God says. In fact, Satan uses it even against Jesus himself. Verse, uh, but let's look at verse uh, five and six. Satan tempts Jesus with the ultimate power and authority. When he says, hey, see all these kingdoms? All these kingdoms? Hey, you bow down and you worship, you worship me. It's yours, right? Satan tempts Jesus with ultimate power and authority. But I think it's interesting. And I, I want to kind of take you to this place because I want you to understand kind of what is happening here. See, God gave man authority during creation. Did you know that? Did you know that God, during, you know, the creation of the world, and Adam, you know, when Adam first, and when there was no sin, God said to Adam and Eve, I have given you all authority of the world, now go and take dominion, like it is yours, I'm giving you authority over this place, over this creation, what I have created, you now have authority over, it says authority over all the birds of the air, all the, the livestock, all the, you know, that you will have, you will take dominion, you will have dominion over this. He really put us in charge. He really gave you the authority. What happened? Right? We know what happened. Satan came. Satan stole it. He took it from us. But Jesus had a plan to take it back. Jesus had a plan. That's why when Jesus is saying, or when when Satan is saying to Jesus, hey, I'll give all this back to you, basically. Jesus knows, no, you took it. And by the way, I'm taking it back. It's, you know, even though, yes, was, was Satan kind of, you know, had this free reign on the earth? Had, was he kind of taking dominion because man had, had because of our sin, we had kind of let it go and we were, we were striving for it and fighting for it, but we didn't realize that, you know, all we had to do was turn to God to get it back again? Satan knew this, so Satan took control. He took control, he took dominion, he took authority. Satan no longer has authority. Do you know that? Guess who does? You do. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, because of his death and resurrection on the cross, Jesus then came, take, took dominion back. He took authority back from Satan, and then he gave it back to you. 
He gave it back to you. We now have authority through the name of Jesus Christ. That means you have the authority. You have the dominion over anything that is happening in your life in this world. Right? Mind blown. Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Let's jump to verse 9 in, in Luke 4. It says, then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you and they will hold you up with their hands and you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Satan tempts Jesus with testing God, right? That's what he's basically saying, test God, let's see, let's see, let's, let's, let's test God. But we need to be careful never to force God to do something that, that, that is not in his nature. It is, it is arrogant for us to think that we can control God and make him do our will, right? Make him, we want God sometimes to do our will. Well, God, this is what I want. I want this, right? Maybe it's not God's will, Gary, for you to have the Ferrari. I'm sorry, right? Maybe that's not what God wants for us because, because he has something better. He has something that is so much better than that. And that's what this is really all about. This is really all about trusting God, that he has something better in mind, that he has your best interest in mind, that when we start focusing on what's around us and what the world has to offer, that God has something better. And sometimes we want to strong-arm God into doing what we want because that's what we think is the best, right? Well, God, I really want that, right? I have children, I know that phrase. I really want that. You want to know how many things that they really wanted that are now discarded and have been thrown away in the trash or in a corner or in a closet? Thousands of things in our house. Games and toys and on and on and on of things that they really wanted that are just, they're trash now, right? Because it's temporal, it's it's it's. You know, it's fleeting, it's, it's emotional, it's, you know what I mean? It comes and goes. But the things that, that God wants to give you are eternal. Eternally satisfying, right? E eternal blessings, eternal love, and, and all those things that we so desire. He wants to give you those things eternally, not just that quick fix that's going to make you feel good today. He's, con he's concerned about your eternity, all right, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I can see it in your eyes. Satan quotes scripture and he twists it. This is why, going back, this is why we need to know scripture because Satan will use scripture against you. And by the way, I see the world doing it all the time. I see the world try to quote scripture and take it out of context. I've seen churches quote scripture and take it out of context for their glory to do something that they wanted to do, right? To do a building project, right, that they wanted to do, to put in a, a bowling alley in their church because, you know, the Bible said, you know, I don't know, turn rocks into bowling balls or something like that. I don't know. 
They find crazy scriptures to twist to make it work for them. Again, that's testing God. We don't, we don't twist things to make it work for us. We are obedient to what God's truth already is because we can't change it. It's unchangeable. All right, here we are, home stretch. Jesus was tempted for several reasons, okay? Jesus was tempted for several reasons. To show his power over sin, to prove that he was the son of God, because he didn't sin. To step into Adam and Eve's place to undo the curse, right? How did sin enter the world? How did sin enter the world? Through, through Satan tempting Adam and Eve, and through Adam and Eve, right, giving in to temptation. That's how sin entered the world. So how was sin defeated then, right? Sin was defeated by Jesus himself putting him in those in those scenarios, putting himself in every situation, putting himself, even himself to be tempted, but he did not give into temptation. So for there, he could undo the curse. You know what, it's interesting about that story. Satan says, hey, I'll I'll give you all all the kingdoms of the world, right? In other words, I will let you rule and reign from here. But you have to worship me to to get it. Let's just go down this, this path for a second. If Jesus had done that, if Jesus had worshipped Satan thinking like, well, it's for a good cause, right? It's for a good cause. I, I'm going to regain authority o- over the earth. But because the word of God says that you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only, then J- Jesus would have then sinned, and then by that, he would have negated conquering sin. Do you see where this goes? He would have ne- never been able to save you from sin. He, he might have had you know, ruler and authority over the world, but he now would have not been able to save us from sin. He did this to prove that he was the son of God and to step into Adam and Eve's place to undo the curse and to show that he was also fully human. He went out to be tested just like you. You see where I'm going with this? Jesus wanted to experience what you experience every single day, what you go through every single day of your life. So what can we learn from temptation? What can we learn? What, what's the take home? What's the, all right, God, how can I serve you? Well, first of all, we need, to, we need to understand that sometimes God is testing us, right? Do you feel like, and here's the question, do you feel like you're in the desert right now? This is definitely, you're going through something, this is definitely, I did not cause this, right? It's very obvious. This isn't from any, you know, decision I made that I'm just living life and I'm doing the best that I can, but I seem to be in this desert place. You then ask yourself, God, are you testing me? Because he probably is. Temptation can strengthen our faith, right? When When we stop doubting God and we start trusting God through the situation, through the testing, it will strengthen your faith right? Your faith will become stronger. Also, we can't cut corners. We cannot cut corners. God wants our obedience, you guys. He wants our obedience. Does God have grace on you? Yes. Is God merciful? Yes. He always gives us opportunity to turn, to turn, to come back, to turn, to go, no matter how far we go or how many times we do it, right? You know, we're forgiven over and over and over again, but we cannot cut corners. God wants our obedience. He wants us to do what's right. We must battle our enemy with the word of God. If you feel like that you're in this battle 
And I would tend to say that most of the time our battle is in our head, right? Like you, me, right? Our battle is daily in our mind. That is why you need to get scripture in there. That is what you should be. When you start hearing that, you know, well, I'm not. Well, what is the, who does the Bible say you are? The Bible says that you are a child of the living God. The, the Bible says that you, you have been purchased, right? The Bible says you have been redeemed, you know, the, Jesus said that, you know, being full of the Holy Spirit, that you will go out and do even greater things in ministry than he did. That's what the Bible says about you. The Bible says that you have all authority in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. We need to start battling our, our minds with, with Scripture, with what God says, with what his word says. And we must know the word of God because Satan will twist it. Satan knows the word of God. Did you know that? Do you know Satan knows the word of God? He's been hearing it for thousands of years. He knows it. He knows it better than you. And he uses it to twist it, and he uses it to get you, you know, off track, and he uses it to lie to you. He knows it, so you better know it better than him, right, so that you can battle him, so that when he comes against you, and even when sometimes he uses scripture like, oh, well, maybe, right? Maybe. No. Know it better. Know your God better. And that goes to show you that Knowing God's word doesn't save you, right? Because Satan knows God's word, right? Demons know who Jesus is. Knowing those things are not what save you. It's following. It's the obedience. That's what saves us, right? That's what saves us. And Jesus has given us all authority. So use it. Use it. Jesus has given you authority. There is power in the name of Jesus. I don't know what you're going through, but you need to speak that name and his authority over your situation, whatever it is. And you need to stop letting the enemy win in your life. And you need to stop giving in to temptation when it comes, you know, and approaches you. Remember, Jesus died for that situation. Jesus died so that you would have the opportunity to fight it. Jesus died and he rose again and he conquered that so that you could have the authority back. Satan does not have authority anymore. That thing does not own you, right? That thing, Jesus killed it already. Whatever's trying to, to, to grasp onto you, whatever's trying to chain you up, whatever's trying to weigh you down, that does not have authority anymore. Because of the name of Jesus Christ, you can speak his name and you can take that authority and you can rebuke that. Satan, get behind me. Get out of here. You have no authority anymore. Remind him of that. He knows that, by the way. He wants to see if you know it, right? He's testing you to see if you know it because he knows it. Let's pray. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you. Thank you, Lord. Father God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you, Lord, that even though even though sometimes there's, there's discipline and sometimes there's, there's, Lord, coming to the realization of, of our own sin, but, Lord, there's so much love and there's so much grace 
and there's so much mercy, Lord, from you. Lord, this is not about condemnation. This is not about casting out. If anything, this is about coming to, to you. This is about knowing who we are. This is about knowing you know, who we can be. This is knowing about the authority that we have over Satan, over sin, because of the name of Jesus, because of what you did, Jesus, on the cross, because of you conquering death and rising from the grave. The authority that we can have over our situations. Where is your battleground happening? Where is it that you feel most anxious? Where do you feel like there's a fight going on? And maybe, you know, to be honest with you, and let's just be honest with ourselves, is it spiritual? Is there a spiritual battle going on somewhere? Because every time you seem to get into this certain situation, you just feel it and you sense it, and it's been pushing you around and it's been beating you up and it's been making you feel hopeless. Jesus says, I'm with you. Jesus says, all you have to do is say my name. All you have to do is bring me into this situation. All you have to do is is even, you know, be honest with yourself and say that you cannot do this on your own. What's a situation that you need to bring God into, that you need to bring the, the authority of Jesus Christ into? Is it your home? Is it at your work? You sensing the spiritual warfare at your job? You dread going there? Then you start speaking the name of Jesus over it. You start pleading the blood of Jesus over your job. Praying protection over you as you're driving there every single morning. Satan, I'm not gonna let you win. I'm not gonna let you oppress me in this situation. I'm going to bring the light of God into this job, into this workplace. We're going to set people free. Or maybe the war is just even in your own mind. And that's where you need to start proclaiming the name of Jesus every single morning. Every single morning. I don't know where your battlefield is. But Jesus does. And we are being tested. But the great thing is, is we're not left alone in the testing. Because of Jesus, of him going through this himself, because of him experiencing this himself, he can now come alongside of us and comfort us and strengthen us and guide us through it. But I encourage you that you need to wield that sword that God has given you and you need to stop letting Satan, stop letting the enemy beat you up. Start taking the fight to him. Start being relentless and you're speaking the words of God over you, over your family, over your workplace, over your community, over your family, over your church family. You have an authority. You need to take it and use it. I just want to sing this one last song. Can we do that? Will you guys stand with me?